All right, guys, this is the Gun Dog Notebook, episode 21. This is uh, following up off of a really, really, really good interview with AJ DeRosa from Project Upland. Um, man, I got to say, <laughs> these podcasts is getting better and better, man. I, I, I got to tell you, they, uh, they're just really, really, really helping me, and I hope they're... Uh, helping you guys with some kind of learning. I don't know, man, or, or just the experience. Hell, if you just like listening to it in the car, in the truck on your way somewhere, man, like, I hope you guys are enjoying it uh, as much as I am. I want to go ahead and uh, thank my, first and foremost, my Patreon subscribers. You know, we, 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 we bring something in now, man. Like, thank y'all for that. I really appreciate that. Um, it just makes the experience better and better. Um you know, for those of you guys that may be new to the podcast and need a little bit of a reminder, just go to patreon.com. You can look up the Gun Dog Notebook. All of my uh, stuff will be there pretty soon. Like I said, guys, just y'all can hold me to it. There will be, you know, giveaways pretty soon and things like that. Also, kind of want to, not kind of want to, I really want to thank uh, the guest on today's podcast, uh, Guy Billups from Wild Rose, Texas, um, and Wild Rose Kennels out in uh, Mississippi and everywhere else that they are. They got a bunch of different satellite campuses that I didn't even know about until uh, today. And Guy pretty much helped me go in a little bit more detail about the 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 Wild Rose Way. That's a lot to say for for some reason. I have the book and that's what I started Ruger on. And this was an opportunity for me to just get some clarity and have a representative from Wild Rose really talk about some of the key points in this particular training technique. Um, It's been really good for me and Ruger. And I like that it's an approach that makes sense uh, from somebody that's been doing this for a very, very, very long time. Uh, Mike Stewart, very, very respected in the industry and, uh, you know, just really does a lot for the gun dog community. So if you're looking for a training technique that, you know, it, I, I think it's pretty suitable for, for somebody coming into uh, gun dog training or somebody that's looking for something, you know, that works. And by that works, I mean, it, it's the easiest way for me to explain it is just very common sense. Um, and it focuses on a lot of essentials before getting to a lot of complex things. It kind of fills in a lot of the gaps. So Guy goes into detail about uh, how that process works as far as the Wild Rose Way. Uh, Jerry and Provento, I wanted to thank Jerry again a hundred million times over at Field Dog Imagery. He's been a uh, really 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 helping me move forward with my podcast and some of my endeavors um and just giving me a lot of good honest insight and connecting me to a lot of good folks so jerry thank you again um lily milner of of course with uh duck hill kennels and girls with gun dogs that's another one i i think i told her a hundred times over again that she's the unofficial mentor and i'm just gonna continue to pick her 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 uh brain and see what else what else i can get into as far as this gun dog thing uh and john blake you know i had a whole i'm gonna have him on a podcast pretty soon too 
and I just want more knowledge on 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 shotguns, man. Like we had a conversation not too long ago, and it was it was cool. He definitely uh, taught me a lot about good old working shotguns. You know, nothing, none of this pretty stuff all the time. As much as I would love to have a multiple thousand dollar purdy shotgun or Holland and Holland, um, John's been talking to me a lot about the guns that work. You know, he is a uh, bird hunter. At, at to the nth degree he is a bird shooter um and i also want to kind of lightweight introduce a new opportunity that i just uh was introduced to uh so lily milner recommended me to uh the founder of heritage field trial association uh jessica anloff and uh I'm going to be working as a uh, on the uh, board of advisors to help put this organization together and, and get it going and, you know, get some of the foundational elements in place. So I'll give you guys more on that, but that's going to be a pretty exciting endeavor. Um, it definitely follows a lot of uh, a lot of standards and things that I really believe in as far as, um, you know, what you may be looking for out of your dog, what's going to be good for the breed and uh you know, really just testing these dogs' abilities and doing it uh, very, very, very similar to uh, British field trial uh, techniques and standards. So there's a lot coming from there. I'll talk about it a little bit more later on um, as time goes on. I don't want to give it all away just yet. And so if y'all want to take a sneak peek at it, the uh, website is heritagefieldtrial.com and... Uh, you know, there you'll find a lot of information on just what the organization's about, uh, some of the things as far as what folks are trying to do with it. Um, I just kind of want to talk about the mission statement. Um, it encourages and facilitates the holding of field trial competitions within the United States, which are rooted in the heritage of the specific breed of dogs uh, competing in the trial, as well as, number two, it encourages and promotes training methods, which complement the breed standard and uh, purpose of the dog's training for competition. So that'll kind of give you an example of what it is that I'm, that uh, they're going for. Take a look at the website, and it'll continue to get updated um, the further along the process goes. Um, my buddy Eric Morris um, and Black Wolf Hunting Club that's getting ready to, to get back started too. That is actually the first hunting club that I've uh, ever been a part of. So we'll be looking in, into that and making some more moves uh, over the summer and definitely going into next season. And then, uh, you know, last but definitely not least, my buddies at Old South uh, Hunt and Retriever Club, you know, these guys teach me just as much uh, as any of the other folks that I can come into contact with on the podcast, I'm learning in 50 million different ways. And the folks at Old South have definitely been a, a benefit. So with 21 episodes in and uh, a lot of success with the podcast as of recent, I just kind of wanted to point out a lot of the folks that have helped me along the way. So I appreciate that. All right. So um, I'm not going to hold y'all up anymore. Trying to keep it under 10 minutes, and we at like seven now. So we'll transition to uh, the Gun Dog Notebook, episode 21.
with Guy Billups from Wild Rose, Texas. Woohoo! Look who snuck in. <laughs> Say hello. Hi, wonderful people. Ash has been sitting here the whole time. It's kind of weird recording the intro. I'm just let you know how weird it is. I was hoping you were going to go upstairs so I can record it. Oh, no, I like listening to you. You're weird. <laughs> All right, well, since you're here now, are you excited about this Wild Rose thing? I'm very excited to hear episode 21 because my very handsome spouse here has been following the Wild Rose way since the very beginning. So I know it's um, probably not ironic, but it's got to be something for you. I can't quite find the adjective right now. But I know it does something for you to be able to interview someone from from them. And that's that's what got you started on your journey. So I'm very excited for you. And it's very awesome to watch your journey and, you know, hear about Jerry and Lily and all the wonderful people. Um, and now um, this Wild Rose representative. So I'm just excited and I'm grateful to everybody that's uh, been a companion to you on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you know we gotta go to back, I definitely gotta go out to Texas, what we do now. Yeah, well, Lex is out there, so we'll go. Alright. We'll go back, we'll go. Well, we'll you go went, more. I didn't go the first time. Well, we can go again, baby. Well, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so, here is episode 21, y'all, and, uh, you know, stay rocking with us. Okay. We're back with Gundog Notebook Podcast with Guy Billups. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm really, really, really good. All right, so I'm already, you know, kind of excited off of the conversation we just had. But first and foremost, um, before we even get into it, because I feel like this is going to be really, really fun, uh, tell me a little bit about your background, what you do for Wild Rose Kennels, how you got started, just start from day one. Um, so day one, I guess you kind of start back with my youth and, and growing up with my dad, and we were kind of um, very much amateurs, but amateurs in the hunt test field trial world, kind of grew up um, maybe getting a field trial washout lab here or there and um, going and maybe doing a derby or doing the hunt test with them and duck hunting. Um, grew up primarily duck hunting. We had a was blessed to have a place in Greenwood, Mississippi that we'd go hunt, and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. And then got into college. I went to uh, play football down at Rice University down in Houston, and uh, had had a chest peak before that, and and, and then an older uh, field trial lab, and was in a, in a in a house in Houston with five other guys, and um, was ready to get back into hunting and, and have a dog again. And but I knew from the dogs that I had, it just wasn't going to fit in a, a downtown Houston house. And uh, that's where I kind of stumbled upon British Labs and Wild Rose and, and, and all this this kind of world and, and went down the route and, and trained the dog myself and and, uh, and followed on the Wild Rose way, and which was kind of new, completely new at the time, and uh, loved it and, and had really good success with it. And then... Ended up kind of reconvening at a uh, double gun event, the Wild Rose hosts. We, we do some double gun events and mm-hmm. uh, reconvening. And probably the coolest compliment I've ever had was uh, Mike Mike asked me who trained my dog, and uh, in, in a good way. 
And uh, it asked me who trained my dog. And I looked down and said, well, I, I trained her myself. And uh, and uh, he said, well, I, you know, how would you train yourself? I said, I read, I read your book. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and he, he laughed. And it was, uh, so anyway, it was a good deal. And time kind of went by. And we're just kind of doing the rocking along post-college life and uh, in, the, in the corporate world. And uh, we had a client. By, uh, by the Dallas Hunting and Fishing Club here in Dallas. It's the uh, old, fourth oldest duck hunting club in the country. Yeah. And uh, he really, he's been a long time Wild Rose client, uh, Joe Crafton, and he uh, he really wanted to put a Wild Rose facility here on the duck club. He's, he's renovating it, reestablishing the duck club, putting some money into it, and really reinvigorating the history behind it and thought that a Wild Rose kennel here on the place just makes it that much more prestigious. And uh, so anyways, Mike was looking for the right right fit to kind of get this thing set up, and, and we got back together and and uh, ended up working out a deal to uh, where I, I uh, basically purchased the licensing and, and uh, kennel facilities and ability to operate as wild rows and follow the manuals and really everything on the business side of things and, and operate as a wild rose facility in conjunction um, with wild rose kennels here in Dallas. And from there, we've taken off and uh, really rocking and rolling and enjoying being kind of forward deployed on the, the whole Wild Rose Kennels front. Wow, that's really, really cool. <laughs> okay. I, um, I, I, I think that's really, really dope. Um, I've wanted to visit a Wild Rose facility like one day, and the fact that y'all have it in Texas made it that much cooler because my um, sister-in-law is actually in Texas. So, <laughs> there you go. I, 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 I got a reason to come out there. Yeah, Texas is a big state. How if you got to get a watch where she is. She might be. She might be farther away from me than you are from 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 me already. Where's Austin in relation to Dallas? Okay, you're not far. About about three hours. Okay. About three hours. <laughs> not bad at all. All right, cool. People don't realize it, but uh, Orange, Texas, to El Paso is further than it is from El Paso to the Pacific Ocean and from Orange, Texas to the Atlantic Ocean. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Look it up. It, it, it Whoa. is further, um, across from El Paso to Orange, Texas than it is to either coast. Wow. It's a big state. That is huge. So let me ask you this since it's so big. Um, and I, and I want to get back on you for a second, but I, you, you live in Texas and I've actually been really, really, really interested in moving to Texas. Actually. Um, I kind of want to change and it's, there's this weird story about my childhood where I literally almost ended up in Texas, but it didn't happen. I ended up in Atlanta, which is fine. How is the wild bird hunting out there? Because in Texas, like 90 something percent pri uh, private land. It is. It, it is uh, hugely private. Um, on that note, um, I will probably cover this at some point. I feel like every hunting hunting podcast or interview I hear lately talks about this. So I guess the problem is known. But you know, the hunting the hunting industry or hunting license sales are shrinking, and, and a lot of us genuinely believe it's because of access more than anything. Um, and so I'm, I'm a member of a Stewards of the Wild here in Dallas. Okay. It's young professionals, basically. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific age limit. But it, it, it's basically the 20 to 40-year-old um, crowd that we work with the Texas Parks and Wildlife and, and doing uh, different conservation work and, and kind of trying to provide access to these young professionals that just never had the opportunity to be introduced into hunting. But 
on that note, the public land that is in Texas is, is awesome. Um, I don't have any pointers that I, I own specifically, but my wife and I, uh, last, last year, went out towards Lubbock mm-hmm. and wanted the public ground, uh, completely public ground. All you have to do is it's a $40 permit for the year. Um, you have access to the uh, WMA is what it's called. Yeah. And uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife leases land for farmers, basically. We kicked up, uh, we hunted three hours Saturday morning and probably three or four hours Sunday morning just with labs kind of quartering in front of us within shooting range. We flushed up eight cubbies, wild cubbies of 20-plus birds over the weekend. What? Uh, yeah, and that's on public, I mean, that was just completely public ground. So, uh, there's, you know, it's limited without a doubt, um, but it, that was, you know, that's uh, pretty unbelievable for quail. And then when you get into duck hunting, you've got the Texas coast, which is just acres and acres and miles and miles of, of uh, hunting opportunity. Now you, you run into your two-bird red, redhead limit and your two-bird or one-bird now pintail limit, and uh, so really three is kind of your limit down there on the coast. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you'll pick up some, some other birds here and there, but that tends to be the frustrating case on the coast. Yeah. Uh, um, but so you've got those you got that public land. You got lakes and lakes and uh, a few WMAs across the state. One thing that's a shame is you're seeing in Texas. It's somewhat of a difficulty to hunt rivers um, in, in Texas. Uh, now, why is that? Uh, private land ownership okay. and kind of arguments over whether a river is public public uh, or not. Okay. Um, and I see both sides of it without a doubt. I mean, we're we're here on the Trinity River. Um, here in Dallas, and so I can certainly appreciate the private ownership rights and and all that stuff. But then there's also got to be a, a kind of understanding too on on what's going to be public access and, and the rights for for hunters and going forward. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I um I definitely want to get out there, man, because it's just that's kind of been a dream area of mine. I just didn't know what the numbers were, and if I were to come to Texas. Like I said, I would primarily upland hunt. Like I want to get after Texas quails, um, and and duck hunting is cool. But um, you know, I really wanted to to be sure that I was I was going in the right direction and kind of on the right track. Um, now, weather wise, though, because here in Georgia, it's um, you know it gets pretty hot here. How do labs do over there, Texas wise? Uh, so we, I mean. Uh... Are you, you talking about hunting wise or training in the summer wise? There's kind of mm. kind of a couple questions there. I mean, as far as summer goes, it's, it's probably the same deal in training, same deal as our as our Oxford facility and anybody uh, you know anybody south um, south of Tennessee or so or whatever. It's mm. you're you're up with you're up at you want to start training at five thirty and you hope you're done by noon. But <laughs> it's it's brutal until that last till that sunset without a doubt. A lot of mm-hmm. water work. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then as far as hunting goes, most of your, so most of your guys quail hunting, especially out here in Texas, especially where the quail are in West Texas, mm-hmm. um, you wait till after the first freeze, um, to, to quail hunt, but one, to get the green grass killed off so the, so the dogs can smell the birds, but two, the, the rattlers, um, you don't want them, you don't mm-hmm. want them hitting the dog. So, mm-hmm. uh, you think about once you get past the freeze and it's under 50 degrees, uh, the dogs do well, but I mean, any, any true quail hunter out here is going to have two two bird dogs. Um, you know, you're not not typically hunting um, with labs. You're typically covering huge spans of land um, with a pointer. And, you know, short skin can handle the briars and mesquite and 
sandburrs and all that kind of stuff. It definitely, um, there's definitely, you're definitely giving up a lot of cover if you only hunt with a lab for as yeah. far as quail hunting goes. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm a lab guy, obviously. I mean, I, it pains me to say that, but, <laughs> but I'm also kind of a, I'm, I'm a, uh, probably a duck hunter first, except yeah. for, I seem to, we managed to uh, really go on some awesome quail hunts on, on some private land the last couple of years, maybe yeah. one or two a year. And uh, every time I go on one of them, I, 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 I shake my head and wonder why in the heck I chase ducks. So, <laughs> riding, around, riding around on a Texas quail rig, watching, watching pointers work in front of you, it's, uh, it, it changes your hunting perspective without a doubt. Oh, I believe it. Trust me. I totally believe it. And that's the dilemma, the same dilemma that I have. <laughs> I'm like, man, how did I ended up end up doing this? Because it is really pretty, man, and it, there's nothing like that experience. So, oh yeah, <laughs> it, it's a very, it's a very. I use, I have to use the word pretty very carefully because it's it's pretty only to a select group of people, but the, the, those select people, it's a, it's gorgeous. Yeah, um, because it's my my wife's like everything's dead, everything's dead. Yeah. It's just open and empty. But if you, if you can appreciate it, it's it's certainly uh, pretty awesome. You 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 just I don't know. I'm I'm big on on just really watching the dogs work. I mean, and, and pointers especially. That's why I always have the dilemma of am I gonna get another lab because I love labs to death. <laughs> I got one now, um, and I've always had the dilemma of okay, do I want to go ahead and get another bird dog, another pointer? Um, just so I can see that action, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it's, uh, it's tough. I think uh, you know, it's uh, if the access was there and, and I had the ability, I wasn't just kind of relying on invites for most of my quail hunting. I'm I'm sure I'd have a couple pointers, and you're exactly right. It's just so much fun to watch them work. It's such a different animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, when you're when you're typically kind of getting invited they those guys typically have their own quail dogs and you know that's the one thing about a bird dog or uh, you know a, a pointer or setter or whatever it is that you're using for, for pointing it, it really is all about putting them on game and putting them on game off often early and often yep. um and, and so it's kind of hard to show up with a pointer that you don't hunt all year and then kind of go and put them next to these guys that they hunt three days a week over right. these bird dogs it's just it, it doesn't compare. It's not like a lab where I can train and train and train and then step out there and, and, and kind of mimic. I can mimic the scenarios to such a point that I can step out there and, and be um, a pleasure to hunt with and, and get and get invited back, which is the key. <laughs> you know, right. I want to get invited back. So <laughs> I, I know I can do that with, with a lab and, and what's expected of, whereas that bird dog, it's, it's just uh, it's not fair to them if they're not pointing hundreds of birds a year. Right. Right. You are exactly right, man. And there it's just a different motor, man. They're built with a whole different motor. So yep. you know, but again, it's that's why I like all of these different breeds. I mean, it's it's because each one of them has their own different assets. Now, you are now what's fill me in on your position with Wild Rose Texas. You're president, right? Yeah, so I'm president. Okay. So I, I own Wild Rose Texas. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm president head trainer. Um, we have a facilities manager and full-time assistant trainer. And then we have a couple part-time guys working for us. And uh, we'll probably possibly exp- expand a little bit this summer in, in the training 
um, get, bring on another trainer possibly. Okay. Uh, that's, gonna, that's where we're sitting right now and, and uh, really happy with it. And really happy to be this close to Dallas and kind of providing something new. Mm-hmm. You know, Wild Rose has always been out there in Oxford, Mississippi, which, which is where I'm from originally and it's near and dear to my heart. But uh, it's certainly uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, yeah. quote unquote, whereas we're, we're 14.2 miles from downtown Dallas. And so we're kind of we we're boarding some sporting dogs and kind of opening up that boarding uh, market as well and kind of trying to pioneer something new with yeah. you know traditionally everybody that boards dogs they you know they're taking them to a daycare sticking the dog in the kennel um, they're either going to stay in the kennel the whole day or they're going to get put out of the kennel and put in a yard with twenty other dogs playing with chew toys and squeaky toys and right. That mess that a hunting dog is just going to come untrained on, and, and then you know you get them back, and you know you're left with you got to fix all these problems you thought you fixed already. Mm-hmm. Um, Yo, let me say thank you for doing that because that has been my biggest concern every time I go out of town. Is yep. <laughs> so, so it's been really cool. We're we're seeing a, a really good response to that, and really excited that we're able to provide that, and it's it's needed. Um, yeah, honestly, it, it it's, is. It's something. Um, so it's pretty cool. We're happy. We we kind of. I know you know Carl Gunzer. Mm-hmm. Um, through Carl Gunzer, we got with some of the Perina research, and they do a they do a, a hunting or hunting dog sporting dog summit, I think, or something. What it's called. I'm not sure what it's called. They do it every couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, where all these really, I mean, from everything from Iditarod racers to field trialers to um, agility comp- competitors and everything in between, they get together and they're talking about nutrition and exercise and conditioning and. Um, they put together a, a lot of materials and, and, uh, we kind of, we used a lot of those materials and put together something we're calling the C system, which is the strength, endurance, and agility. Um, so our dogs that come in for boarding are older dogs that maybe we're not doing a ton of training with and we're just kind of maintaining. Um, we have them set up on a schedule where Mondays we're getting out doing cardio and building out their, their, uh, the lactic acid. Wow. And their ability to handle. The ability to handle uh, aerobic exercise at lengthening, lengthening amounts of times, make sure they can fuel their, their muscles with oxygen. Um, and then we do an agility day. We'll work on core strength, balance, some reverse muscles. So when you think about it, the whole CrossFit um, and humans um, kind of epidemic or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, all kind of realizing, hey, if you just do curls, you're, you're not really doing good for your body. you gotta got to work that opposite muscle and make sure you're getting an even, even training with I mean, labs especially, they, they sprint everything they do, and yep. they're just working on those pushing muscles. And so we get them in the yard and are working on the pull the pull-up muscles as well and picking up their feet and going through rope ladder-type scenarios and wow. balance beams and, and really activating the core as well and kind of making sure we got a wholesome wholesome athletic dog that prevents injuries and, and, and really stimulates their mind as well. And then, then we have a strength day. We're going to go out and do the marks, get in the sand, do some speed and, and muscle work and really build the muscle like everybody likes to see. And then we have our obedience day where we're just cycling down and getting down to the nitty-gritty of the stuff that, you know, just the heel sits and whistle stops and woes the bird dogs and um, – stuff that's kind of boring but you just want to touch up on it and make it exciting for the dog and make sure it's staying staying checked in and tuned in and then then fridays are kind of our free day to kind of step back in and see what dog what the dog wants to do and where we need to go back and and rework something and and kind of go from there so system together and, and know that when people drop their dogs off they're you know, even if they're just in boring, they're getting their dog back and hopefully he's in a little bit better shape or you know maybe that obedience day did him good or whatever the case might be 
Oh my gosh. I need to I need to see that, get it from you because that's beautiful. That that dog is getting a better workout than I do. <laughs> Exactly. I need to getting better one than I do. I, I, I walk plenty of miles a day, but I... Oh, my... I, my, look. Last, my last time in the weight room was uh, a couple of days before our bowl game in Hawaii. I haven't <laughs> seen the inside of one since. <laughs> well, look, I... Um, my uh, my wife today bugged me to get into the uh, the weight room today with her. She's a, she's a big workout fanatic, so today was my first day back. I ain't gonna say she there bugged me. She didn't, she didn't bug me, but... Uh, today was my first day back, man. <laughs> when you tell me about what you did with them dogs, I can't. I can honestly say I did not do that, my brother. <laughs> that is wow, man. Yo, okay. Well, when I come to Texas, um, I know <laughs> where I need to board my dog. <laughs> Come on through here. Man, yeah. Because <laughs> good Lord, that's beautiful. All right. <laughs> wow. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Um, you you started with Wild Rose, and that's really cool that, that um, you got that compliment from Mike Stewart and everything like that. So you've been on that the Wild Rose program from the beginning, so on and so forth. What is something that, like, you would tell any, like, what are some of the big takeaways from the Wild Rose way? Um, some of the big takeaways. So, uh, if you're familiar with the book, we've got the, the 20 Wild Rose Laws of Dog Training. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, so, the one that applies to me the most, the one I have to go back and reread and shove in my head um, and remind constantly is, is make haste slowly. Right. Um, I, that, that's one of the hard, that's always been a hard one for me of, of wanting to push the envelope and I, I'm a pretty competitive guy and I'm always wanting to go out and do a little bit more, do a little bit more. And, um, you got to remember really base it off the dog and, and, and not try to get in a rush and you want to make sure you're constantly progressing, but you don't want to get beyond what, you know, the, you don't want to go faster than you need if that go. Right. Um, something I've tried to remind myself of something I've been telling a lot of people and I think it makes a lot of sense is is you're training for that dog's third hunting season. The, the first hunting season is fun or whatever. The second hunting season is going to be a little bit better. But that third one is the one that that really that's going to be the, that's the season that all of a sudden you have a perfect you have a hunting companion that is a member. It's it's a, it's as part of your hunting as the gun is. Right. Uh, that 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 ought to be the goal. That's what you're going for. Um, so that's the one that kind of applies to me. But I think the one if you come to one of our seminars or you hang around us and and we're trying to teach you about, about training dogs, is uh, that dog is always in training. What are you training? Um, I think it's one that, I think it explains itself pretty perfectly. The dog is dog's always in training. What, what are you training? You, you run into it a lot with, with people. I mean, we're, you know, we're trying to make a situation where people are able to live with their, live with their dogs 24-7, you know, not, not only be, companions out in the field but in the house and, and everywhere else and mm-hmm. I, people don't you know people don't realize that okay um you know i let the dog out in the backyard and give him a tennis ball and he goes around and runs around tennis ball all, all afternoon and then i want to go out and work him and wonder why he wants to run around with the bumper well, what, what were we training him all day to do with that tennis ball right uh, and kind of being aware of all the little things that they're causing your dog's problems that you could fix simply by removing the problem versus, oh, let's go 
you know, let's do this training methodology or we need to, we need to put a collar on the dog and correct them at a distance or whatever. Um, there's a lot of that stuff that don't, don't, this is another way to put this is don't train in a problem that you have to train out later. Right. I mean, you know, that you don't, don't create these, these problems, um, that, that you have now all of a sudden have to go back and fix. Um, it's just kind of, it makes it makes it more difficult on yourself than it has to be. Right. Wow. I um I I definitely understand that. I mean, even as far as basic obedience, like you know, a, a lot of folks, you know, once their dog is sitting and staying and so on and so forth from healing, all right, people kind of forget to reinforce that aspect. And what I do like is again, like basic obedience is is a twenty four hour process. It is. Hey, here you go. Here's something for you too. Not only do they forget to re- reinforce it, they forget to reward it. Too. Yep. 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 Um, I've seen plenty of dogs that are steady. You know, they're rock steady. They'll watch a hundred birds fall, and uh, over the course of the season, you know, they dogs aren't dumb. They they'll put stuff together. They sit there quietly, and and nothing happens, and the other dog gets to make the retrieve, and yep. and he gets praised up for the big retrieve, and. And then that cycle kind of repeats itself. And one, he sees the other dog getting a retrieve and getting praised up. And then when he gets a retrieve, he gets praised up. But he never gets praised for sitting there quietly and, and right. being a, a gentleman and, and a quiet member of the hunt. Right. Um, and they'll look up and go, well, screw this. I don't need to sit here. Clearly, I need to get a bird and bring it back. And that's what's going to be – that's where I get the praise and the reward. And so you want to make sure even those mundane things of, of every now and again – uh, show a little appreciation for for that for that sit or or whatever it might be that, yep. that maybe seem very mundane. Right, it's it's those little things, man. And you know, even I go so far as even in the house, man. Like I don't necessarily like my dog all the way around the table, but when he's sitting six, seven, eight feet away from the table and he's sitting calm and quiet, like you know, you can reward him then too. Like for for me, it's those little things. Like because you'll sit quiet there, you'll sit quiet in a house. I feel a lot better about you sitting quiet, you know, on a hunt in a duck blind or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. Um, no, I mean, and, that, and there you go. There it goes in another line, of, and it goes back to the dogs are always in training. What are you training? Your dogs in your house, you know, way more than it's in a hunting blind. But in the house, it gets to run around and be crazy and do everything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you get in the hunting blind, guns are going off, birds are falling. He's he's in an environment that's supposed to be really, really fun for him. And now you expect him to sit still and be quiet. <laughs> what, do you think? I mean, that's, what, what are we thinking here? Right. That's not going to happen. Yeah. That's, that's not going to happen, man. It's, you know, those are the things that I really, really, really like to reinforce. And that was why, that was honestly what made me, like I said, revisit, um, the wild rose methods because for a while i was like you know is this really working but then i went back and flipped all the way back to page one and reread you know and and it was like okay well dude you know i i i would critique myself i was starting to skip steps trying to you know seeing a lot of other people that were you know whose dogs are handling in in a way that looks amazing and then I compare myself to those folks where, dude, your dog is just not, it's not there yet because you're skipping steps, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that I really, really wanted to, you know, applaud Wild Rose for. It's very easy to backtrack what it is that you're doing. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, 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 and it's funny, you know, that every methodology is a little bit different. I mean, there, there's dogs that, 
you know, they're, they're, they're kind of traditional American or a lot of your um, kind of field trial or even your water, your water dog. It goes back to water dog. I mean, everybody's read water dog if you ever laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back to that teaching the marks. And, I, you know, we have dogs that, you know, they're seven, eight months old. And you can throw a mark to them to maybe a guy that's been working through that methodology. His dog looks great on it. And, you know, one of our dogs looks pretty, pretty uh, apathetic on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just we don't we know we're te- we're going to teach that later on the dog we're trying to teach that dog to handle it vice versa now we're going to set up a drill where we're going to handle the dog and our dog's going to look great and that other dog may not look so great and so you got to make sure you know you try to you want to try to be a sponge I think me and you are pretty similar in that we like reading reading all these different trainers aspects mm-hmm. and, and pick, picking up as much knowledge as, as can be picked up. But within that, you got to be true to the methodology that you're on with, and you can't skip around. You got to set a plan. You got to follow it um, because there is steps to everybody's programs, and so there's philosophy stuff that I think transfers really well. But as far as when you get into drills, you got to follow that that drill sequence that you're with and, and trust it through and see the process through versus um, trying to snip, snip and snatch stuff here and there. It, it, it's uh, it doesn't work that well. Right. Right. Well, I I'm. I'm, I'm having to learn that myself. Like I said, it's just see the process through, you know? <laughs> just, well, it, 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 it's, uh, it's tough for guys. I mean, like, you know, we like reading. I mean, I've read all uh, the George the George Bird Evans mm-hmm. books. And, That's uh, on my know, list, the, too. The, 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 tr- the Trouble with Bird Dogs. He's got some great stuff in there, but, I mean, none of it. That, that, I say none of it. Uh, the drills and stuff, they don't they don't apply to me in, in labs mm-hmm. necessarily, but there's some philosophy stuff, and it always reminds you of little things that you know. Um, you know, don't don't repeat commands. And, and then we were, I was reading through some of Delmar Smith stuff and and talking about the silent command system. And and you know, why would you, don't say any? You don't even say anything when you're training the dog until he, until he's doing it automatically, so right. And then you start trying to, to teach him over. It's something we do. That's in our yeah. methodology. But hearing him say it and point it out, it's like, oh yeah, I really need to make sure I'm not talking too much when I'm when I'm when I'm going through this. Make sure yep. I'm not just rambling on. You know, that's that's been a, a consistent thing with me. What's funny is that same thing, you know, stop talking so much. I think like every one or every other podcast, I, I talk about that because that's been my biggest problem <laughs> is just shut up. Like, don't don't speak unless you absolutely have to. And that's been the biggest challenge for me as a new trainer, man. Just really just trying to operate more quietly. Yep. No, it, it's uh, it, it does a couple things. One, I think it helps you keep your emotions in check. Yep. I think I think if anybody tells you that they don't need help keeping their emotions in check when they're training their dog, they're lying. Yep. Um, so it helps you keep your emotions in check when you're not not talking and ranting yourself up. But but two, dogs uh, dogs are they learn anything they learn. They learn it off of our body language first. Yep. I don't. You cannot teach a dog something all over your voice first. He's looking for body cues. Eventually, you can wean him off of that yep. and, and get him onto the voice cues. But he's learning everything off your body language, and so you're better off not confusing him and not doing anything. Get him doing it right, and then you start teaching him. Okay, this there's a command of this, and then and go from there. Yep. Um, no point in sitting there and saying it a whole bunch. You're just but you're better off doing sign language and getting the dog doing it right, and then you start teaching them words, and now you've got something happening. Yep. Yep. That's, that's, that's so right, man. Like, you know, and, and I think that's, that's been another thing, like 
if you know the dog understands body language in the wild rose book it talks about um controlling the dog's eyes that has been a thing can you can you elaborate a little bit more on that because that has also been something that was extremely beneficial for me um just out you know training and practicing um I want my dog to come to me. I want my dog to recall or, you know, come back to me when I call him. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing we're going to go to is at that dog at your feet, can you say his name and him look at you in the eyes and be waiting for his next command? Right. Because if you won't do it at your feet, he won't do it out there in the field. And there you go. There's another wild rose law. Uh, get, it, get it right at heel before you try to do it out in the field. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of goes back to, you know, when you teach a dog not to listen to you at your feet, you know, when you don't have that dog's prompt obedience, when you don't have his eye contact and focus, you're teaching him. He's got to learn how to be more independent. You're, you're actually required. So bird dog guys, especially your field trial bird dog guys, they, they talk a lot about not wanting to put any controls on the dog um, very early on. They want that dog to learn to be independent, and they want that dog to learn how to really uh, problem solve and go out and find things. And so you're creating a problem, especially for a dog you want to live with in the house or you want to, you know, be a, a trained retriever without a collar or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're training him to be independent of you at your feet, then you can't expect him to to be a, uh, an angel out there at 20 yards snipping in the grass or 50 yards or whatever it may be. Yep. Uh, you you got to start there at heel and, that, that, and start there with that eye contact and be able to hold that dog's respect and attention and then give him a command and him be looking forward to doing it. The other part of that too is, is, is it's respect. It's not dominance. A dog that's dominated doesn't look, won't look anybody in the eyes because yeah. it's dominated. It's a submissive. It just, it just wants to be a, be a part of the situation, but it doesn't expect, it doesn't see that there's any rewards to the situation. It's in a, it's in an avoided state. It's not in a wanting to work with you state and wanting to see what's coming next. It, it's, it's, it's defeated. Um, and that's that's not what you want. You want a dog that, that respects you and is looking forward to what what's going to happen next. Um, I think it's a lot lot to do with why we we do do a lot of cross training with our dogs, whether it be um, you know duck hunting to upland hunting or up hunting to shed hunting or hunting to companionship or mm-hmm. companionship and adventure dogs. We we have quite a few dogs that are just expected to be house companions and uh, and get out and get out in the field and hike and bike with these guys in the mountains and do do uh, river crossings over these logs that have fallen over creeks and do a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, do really cool stuff yeah. outside of just the hunting world. And it, it requires a dog that respects you and is paying attention and, and is looking forward to what they're doing next and not just bored. Yeah. Um, I mean, you don't want to train to the point of boredom. You want a, a dog that's excited and, and looking forward to what's happening next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's my next thing, man. And just even as far as training, you know, I've learned to just develop the habit of uh, not making my training sessions super long to make sure that that dog is looking forward to, you know, what comes next. Um, Because it's like it's 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 so cool to, to get out there and watch these guys and see, you know, the you know, how much of an athlete they are. But then I'll mess around and be out there for 30, 45 minutes. Oh, exactly. No, you're exactly right. Uh, I was I was pretty uh, – I mean, growing up, I I definitely spent too much time out in the field with the dogs. Yeah. Um, 
because you get home from school and you got three hours and let's go set up when we set up. I had a, I had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, um, and I, I mean I did a I did so many wrong things with him. Yeah, but he was unbelievable because you could not throw a mark that he wouldn't remember. I don't care what you did with him. I'm not, and I mean I'm not talking about crazy distances. We were training for hunting, um, but I mean I could throw. I could throw 10, 10 bumpers out in 10 different spots, end line, cross line, hip pockets, all the different lingos you want to use um, in every direction. And I'm telling you, he, and, and, and quickly too, not just like, okay, we're going to study this one for a couple seconds, and you're going to study this next one. You could throw them all over the place. He didn't forget a single one of them. He, he knew where it was unbelievable how smart that dog was. Wow. Um, I wanted to be able to handle it. I, you know, I wanted to be able to catch him. I wanted to be able to do We had a little, and we also at the same time had a little, uh, Field trial washout, uh, black female, and you know, she was she was so slick. She did things that were it was awesome. Yeah, um, and I wanted to be able to handle her, but she was relying on you. Versus the Chesapeake was like, man, I know how to do this. You just tell me, you just tell me when I can go, and I'll take them all. I got that. <laughs> Look, um, that's the same situation with my buddy Eric Chesapeake. That dog is a hell of a dog, man. As far as hunting, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we talked about. We, talks a little bit about British field trials here and there. Mm. I'm amazed I haven't seen Chesapeake show up in the British field trial world. Yeah. You want to talk about a dog um, that I think could really excel at, at their type of, of, of hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think that, that that's a dog that's just so intelligent. That's what they're, they're commercial hunting dogs that were yeah. expected just to pick every bird. I and, mean, you know, steadiness wasn't necessarily an important thing, but they can certainly learn it. Yeah. And, uh, from, and then from there, it's just an incredibly intelligent dog. People, there's a, we have a bumper sticker that, uh, talks, it's, it's, uh, oh, I hope I can quote it right. It's, my wild rose dog is, is smarter than your honor student. I think I like that. There's a lot of stuff out there, but we're really proud of the intelligence intelligence of our dogs. But man, I, I've seen some Chesapeake's that that can uh, can definitely go beyond that intelligence level. But you deal with you certainly deal with you run into some other problems on the other side of that, without a doubt. I mean, there, there's some huge difficulties. I would never. I tell people all the time. I would never try to Chesapeake for somebody else. I, I think yeah. they're cool dogs. I, I think they're. I, I, I wouldn't be afraid to have one for myself um, at, at the point if time ever came. But I, I, it's not a dog you can train and then hand off to somebody. So very yeah. similar to the dra- the draft art for me. Yep. You know, people that handle draft dra- hards. Yep. I correctly. And uh, that one of those two. Yep. They're, they're just a. Uh, they're they're not an animal that uh, they're not for beginners. To say right. The um, and that's what I was when I had the one I had. And, uh, like I said, he was cool, and I made so many mistakes with him, and uh, but it was fun. That's what it's all about. Right. I, um, you know, I remember um, my buddy telling me about his chassis, like, Razor, and, and that's actually the dog that I was inspired to get my first, um, you know, gun dog was based off of my buddy's uh, chassis, Razor. And I would have uh, Ruger just kind of follow him in the field and, and just kind of get a feel for um, you know, flesh and quail and things like that. But as far as steadiness, man, like we went out to Kansas, that dog didn't move. I mean, and was on when we shot ducks, that dog was on it. And it was it was remarkable just the talent and ability that Chessies have, man. But I mean, man, every story that I've heard about a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, they are very, very, very dominant dogs and they 
they're there to do a job. I, I I can agree with you when it when you say like they're not a beginner's dog. Yeah, they're they're, they're uh, no, the chest peaks are hilarious. Man. Yeah, I, I had I had a buddy uh, that that uh, not in not in a brutal way, but he kicked the in the duck blind. The dog was moving around. Yeah, and, uh, he kicked him to kind of get him out of the way, and the dog stopped, looked at him, turned <laughs> back around, went to went to his hunting blind, his his, uh, his blind bag, hiked his leg, and peed in it. Oh, it the whole time, man. Characteristic man, but like I said, I've had an I've had a good time hunting over them. But yeah, you're right, man. Like they're very, very, very independent dogs. Um, so let me, I guess my next thing, let me um, ask you this. I had a God, I got, I had to write, I got so many questions, I had to write them down. <laughs> um, so we were talking about corrections the other day, and you said that. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about e-collars and things like that because your dog pretty much knows no matter how far it's out, you're going to go, you're going to walk out there and correct that dog. Tell, talk to me about that because I, I did it the other day. If I, if, if how you explained it, uh, if I did it like you explained it, that process worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, so I guess it's twofold to that one uh, or threefold really. One, it's, it starts from the beginning. Um, I think any any training methodology out there, at least that I know of, mm-hmm. um, adamantly adamantly um, suggests positive reinforcement from seven weeks to seven months old. I mean, I, I built uh, Lardy, you know, Lardy, the big field trial guy, yep. and Filmit, yep. all those guys. I mean, it's all positive stuff from that beginning. Now. I think one of the differences for us is we don't want to train in a problem that we have to train out later. So we're right. not doing a lot of marks and unsteadiness stuff and teaching the dog to totally be independent of us. We're going to start teaching him memories and lines and handling and casting in that time period and use his natural reliance on us to our advantage. Right. Um, the other the other side of that, the next portion of that is we're not going to try to we're going to make sure that that dog's doing it at our feet or that dog's doing it, doing what we're asking him to do in a very controlled situation right. before we're going to go out in the field and ask him to do it out in the field. Um, and then finally, that final portion of that of, okay, we did all that, now it failed, the dog got out in the field and the dog didn't, you know, he blew off a whistle stop. Um, but that's where, you know, we're going to show the dog, we're willing to walk out there in the field. And I, I have so many times, um, and it depends on the dog, uh, if I have a dog where you know he blows off the whistle stop, I'm gonna start heading out there in the field to correct him, and he's looking at me like I, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have any clue what you're talking about. Half the time, I'm probably gonna pull him up. I'm gonna make sure he doesn't get the reward of the bumper, and it's gonna be a neutral response. And we're gonna go and, and go back to whistle stops in a in a more controlled environment because 
clearly he didn't know what was being asked of him. Right. Uh, the other side of that is usually the dog realizes, okay, he's looking at you going, all right, I know I messed up, but it, it doesn't, it's okay. I, I, I don't need to, I don't need to listen to you out here. Well, that's where I'm going to grab him, you know, by the scruff of the neck, by that, by that skin behind their, behind their ears and pick them up and, um, and give them that I can you know, put them eye to eye and make sure they understand I'll come out there. Yeah. And uh, and usually that gets the point across um, for most of the dogs. And then you have the dogs, you know, like you know my personal dogs or the, the dogs that've been through training and they get out there and they got so excited in the hunt or they got you know whatever happened they thought they knew they, they thought they knew what to do mm-hmm. and they try to put off the whistle and they see me and I'm now I'm coming out there to correct them and you see them dropping their head and getting down no and. Then I'm gonna walk out there. I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna walk out to him. I'm gonna tell him no and get up close to him. And I'm gonna walk all the way back. And you, usually that time period and that patience and that going, man, and sitting there that whole time I'm walking out there and walking back. That's enough of the correction. That's what they needed. And and, and get clued in and go, okay, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I got I got to work with you if we're gonna if we're gonna do this. Right. So that's kind of the three levels and steps to that. Of of one. Uh, does the dog know what I'm asking it to do? And if he's not sure, you know, for the for the most part, there's a few dogs that they know what I'm asking them to do, and they just don't even really care. Right. Um, and that's your problem, dogs, and that's, that that gets difficult without a doubt. But for the most part, the the dogs are, are if they know what's expected of them, they're going to show you and let, and read. Okay, I knew what to do, but you know, maybe I need to show them that I will correct them out there at a distance, or maybe I need to go back to the basics of okay. This is what you were supposed to do, and and, and go from there. Right. Uh, and then you get into the levels of okay, now I need to actually correct them, or you know what, me stopping and walking out there was enough of a correction. They know they know that that was messed up. They're having to sit there and wait to go get the bird. That's I mean, that's ultimately what they want. That's the reward of the whole situation. So yeah, um, just that just that time period is enough of a enough of a correction. Right. Um, from there, and then you then you get into voice corrections and stuff. I mean, you know, you get into so my personal one, we ran a, uh, I, I really wanted to, before I started doing this professionally, it's kind of, I'm super, I'm extremely competitive. And so, uh, to a fault, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, so am I, it's fine. <laughs> and, and so I wanted to run, I wanted to run a, a field trial or some level of field trial without ever putting a collar on my dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, she was pretty much ready to do everything, um, except for, um, you know, the angle entries on the water, and angle entries, angry ex- angle exits, angle backs, all that kind of stuff. And uh, two things made it possible. One, I could give her an act from any distance or any voice, and she'd immediately, she knew that was a correction. She knew she'd messed up, and I could go back and reset it up and get it done right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back all of any. Everybody's seen the how you do it. You know, you start out real fat, and you work your way down, and you set them up for success and all mm-hmm. that stuff. You know, we were doing all that. The other portion of that, too, was teaching her that there was a good way to do it and really get that angle to do it faster. I actually had her running over two-by-fours. Oh. So I had two-by-fours set up and, and separated apart, um, just laid on the ground, and had her so used to running over those, and I'd put them at every angle I could think of and, and mess with her and do those, so that she almost was relying on running over those two-by-fours before she got the got the bird. Wow. And, and I, then I took it to the water and started teaching her that across the water. And I could take those and move them all over the place until she was just so, that's how I got her to do it right. Because that's the key, of, you know, and maybe that's the key of the Wild Rose way is how do you get the dog to do it right? How do you set up a situation 
So if the dog does what you're asking to do correctly, wow. and then reward it and then reinstate it. And so that that's what that's what I did was set up so that okay, I need to run across this this way. And now now I'm starting to understand that, that it matters where I get in and out of the water. And that, that's how we went and did that. Now we we ran uh, we ran we ran one qualified qualifier, uh, and we didn't do we didn't do great, but we got we got around and and uh, it was a cool experience. And and then. The frustrating thing for me was afterwards that I had to teach her what a hunt distance, what a hunt distance was again, and get her get her cycled back down to, and ready for hunting season, so she wasn't running across the marsh out into the ocean mm-hmm. uh, and into Never Neverland. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yo, that was really, really, really cool, man. So I, you know, I'm gonna steal your two by four technique, right? That's fine. <laughs> I, I, hadn't, I hadn't I hadn't used it in a long. I hadn't used it in probably long. Probably won't get into it again, but it was fun. It was, uh, that's what, uh, you know, training dogs is all about problem solving. That's the, that's yep. the fun part about it is how can, how can, how can you do it and how can you, uh, make it fun for you and the dog? Yep. Absolutely. Um, and that, that's, that's really what I'm starting to notice, man. I'm no pro trainer by no stretch of the imagination, but it's fun. Like, it's fun getting out there. It's like, I wasn't ever really good at algebra, but like dog training is kind of like, Trying to figure an algebra problem out, kind of, sort of, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I really like just trying to work out those little kinks, man. Um, and when you get a chance to see it work out, and you and the dog are mutually um, excited about the process, like that's what it's that's what it, what we're doing it for, man. Yeah, man. Uh, no, that's I. Uh, there's there's dogs out there here and there. Um, my dog is one of those particular ones, but I've trained a few that are that are very similar, and they get more excited over a dog that, uh, or over a bird that you that you uh, you have to handle them to that they didn't know was out there, and you you know blind, and and they go out there, and you know, maybe you handle them a couple times to it, and they really you really work. To, they feel like they work together with you to find that bird. Yep. Uh, that's the dogs that I I really they catch my eye. And that, that's the ones that I'm just like yes that's you're working with me. You're you're a team member. You're you're not out here self-employed, um, doing this for yourself. You're doing this because because you want to be with me and, and and enjoy this. Right, right. See, that's the relationship, man. That I am. I have that with my dog, and I'm so glad that I do. And I'm so scared of tarnishing that. And that's honestly what also led me to the Wild Rose Way. Like when I was looking, man. I, you know, I didn't really know much, and I, I don't want to make this a whole conversation like I'm trying to like talk trash about e-collars or anything. But at first, honestly, I was real scared of using an e-collar because I was just like, well, would I want that on me if I was trying to learn something? Um, so I just attributed that to the dog, and maybe that was wrong, maybe that was right. But what I was also impressed by was the fact that Wild Rose Way really focused on not using that collar, but also developing and learning your dog to develop a relationship that, you know, it, it's a team thing. Like, I'm, I'm not, it, it, it's very much so a team thing. And it's a team. You're exactly right. Yep. Um, I don't, I, I don't want to, and you're exactly right. It's, uh, we're, the, the collar has its place in situations without a doubt. There's, there's things, 
Um, you can do with the collar. There's things. There's times where you need a collar. I mean, we we, we get a dog back from training that's running away. I mean, we're gonna stick a collar on him and, and get him figured out on, on on not just bolting and getting out in the road and getting hit or whatever. I mean, there's, right. there's situations where a collar, and that's where our methodology. A collar is seen as something that's gonna eliminate a behavior. It's not really a teaching tool. It's a behavior elimination. And what's funny is your 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 guys that use collars. That that's actually really the way they. I say that the guys that use collars correctly, that that's the way they they use them. It's not it's not necessarily a teaching tool. It's an elimination tool. It's a, it's an eliminating running the bank, or it's eliminating doing this, or what or whatever it may be. Right. Uh, and, and so that's kind of our I guess just our philosophy is that you don't really you don't need it if, if you take the steps in order and you take the time. You don't have to eliminate these behaviors that you trained in. You trained in from the game. If you don't train in something you have to train out later, you don't have to run into all this eliminating to try to get the dog trained and where you need it to where you need to go. Right. The other fear that you, you hand the you hand the collar um, you know, dogs are like people's kids and you mm-hmm. hand the collar off to somebody, um, you know, a, a you know, and it's their personal dog and they're personally invested in the dog and he gets out there in the duck marsh and is making a fool of himself. People use the collar in all the wrong situations, they, uh, and it's just, it just—it never fails. That's that's what uh, it's hard to control your emotions. It's hard to um, get in those situations, and that's it goes back to kind of like what we've been saying: is how can you break it down and make the dog successful instead of going instead of throwing a couple marks in your backyard and then going out in the hunting field and expecting the dog to stop on a whistle at 150 yards and take an angle left back cast and all this, and then you want to start buzz correcting the dog, man. He was set up for that failure. Right. Um, and then the second part of that too that I see with people that want to want to live with the dog in the house too is you run into you run into the dogs constantly that they know when the collar's on and they know when it's off and they're two completely different dogs. And yep. that, that's their probably biggest problem we see with it is that um, the day you put a collar on is the day you're trying to train to get that collar off of that dog. Right. Uh, and it's certainly possible, but it's just it's it's a step that. Again, why train in something? Now, why add another thing to our training plate that we're trying to train out of the dog? Right. Um, and so that's kind of that's where that goes. Well, that's been my experience, man. Like I, you know, I I think one of the I'm gonna say the worst things I did because that nah, I did it, but. Being a new trainer, I started without a collar. Everything was great. And then I put a collar on and now I'm like, ah, crap. Like, I really didn't need that. So, you know, I've just been making it a priority here just to go back to the front yard and just do all of my basic techniques and things like that. Back in the yard without the collar, just to check cord and a wonder lead, honestly. <laughs> and Oh, hey, man, that... When I tell you that has been my favorite dog training tool, man. Okay, so I love the one. I, I do. I, the Wonder Lead's awesome. Uh huh. One issue with the Wonder Lead for for a lab guy, for a retriever guy. <laughs> I know that sounds weird. I'm sorry. It's, it's the same. No, no, no. You're, I love the Wonder Lead, but here's the one issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's the issue that all of Europe has the same issue. Yeah. Is that dog? It is very easy for that dog to feel you and see you pull that lead on and off of him. Right. Um, and, and it makes it, it. You'll see. You'll see. They have a huge issue issue with it over the pond. If they pull that lead off, and now the dog knows he's about to be set with three. He's running. You know, he's taking off or wanting to go or whatever. Um, that's why Wild Rose. When we we invented the lead that 
it, it's the British Slip League, except for it has it's cut up in pieces where you can un, un, uh, unclip it, just a regular quick clip. Um, you reach down, quick clip it, and let the dog take off, and, and now now you're not going through that step. Again, dogs are reading our body language. Right. Our body language just taking that, that lead off, and they're, and they're, they're about to go for a retrieve. And, and you're training it, okay, that lead comes off, I take off, that lead comes on, I don't move. Now you don't put the lead on the dog, he takes off. Hmm. Uh, and so that's just something to be aware of. That, that's where we avoid that with the British slip lead is we, we cut it in pieces and actually have it detached without the dog knowing it's coming on and off. Really? Uh, that being said, I use a wonder lead. Yeah. In the yard, I don't use it anywhere when we're going to be doing any retrieves or anything like that. I have our combo lead on the dog. Um and 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 I'm quick clipping it on and off, so the dog never knows whether the lead's on him or not. He just knows when I'm sending it. Oh man. Okay. And so, all right. So I'm sorry, I had to go look that up. That's on y'all's Wild Rose Trading Company website, right? Wild Rose Trading Company. Yep, that is correct. And- okay. Now look, I'm I'm I, my Wonder Lead is still my favorite, but is it worth me having though? Is it worth you having the Wild Rose Combination League? Without a doubt. Okay. All right. Here's the two things. And so you talked about what was in the book and what Wild Rose training methodologies were probably the, you know, uh, key or whatever you want to say. Uh I'll go into what Wild Rose training methodologies uh, are commonly said to be people's clients' favorites or, you know, this this has changed my life with a dog. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first is the Karanda bed and the place command. Okay. Um, that, that's that's probably the most common one of this has changed my life with the dog. The second one is that combo lead. Okay. And people going, wow, I've never, I've never been able to study a dog until now. This makes so much sense. You know, it, 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 there's so many applications for it. So it's actually three pieces. Um, there's a steady tab that instead of even doing the unclip, you can just have the steady tab on the dog and just let him run with the steady tab. Um, then you have the regular British slip lead with the correction ability and all that type stuff. Um, and then you can also just unclip it and let the dog run with the collar, um, hmm. the, the slip lead collar. But there's kind of, again, there's several different purposes for it and just makes it, makes it really easy to be able to clip the dog in and out and, and, and control and tip the dog up for, for winning. Again, again, it goes back to that dog's being successful sitting still and then he gets to retrieve versus, He's breaking and going and getting birds all the time, and, and, and the only way you can stop him is to put that lead on him. Now he knows the lead's on him, and it's the same deal as the collar, and you're, you're stuck with the collar and going, okay, um, when it comes off, he knows, all right, I'm good to go. It's kind of, it goes back to the guy, the bird dog guys. I think I think uh, in the Silent Command System DVD, they talk about it. Nah, it wasn't, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was George Bird, George Bird Evans mm-hmm. talking about the cord. People run into problems with the check cord because they get a dog out in the field and they're trying to do something with it. And he's taking off and running and running and running. And so they go get the check cord. And then the moment they put the check cord on the dog, they stop him from running. Well, the dog puts that together real fast. Right. Uh, you got to let the dog be on, you know, if I'm going to put a dog on a check cord because of that issue, I'm going to let him run around with the check cord so that he doesn't see the check cord as the, as the reason he's not able to do it. I, he eventually sees you know, the recall command and, and the recall to boxes and everything else, that's the reason not to do it. Versus, oh, crap, check cord came on. I know what happened. Right. I want him comfortable running with that check cord before I ever try to stop him from running with that check cord. Right. That makes so much sense. That's perfect. All right, so you've um definitely sold me. <laughs> there you go. Tell Mike. He'll be happy. 
Oh, look, I definitely will. I would love to get him on too, so I can poke at his brain because you guys are. Y'all are really, really, really doing something for me. So I owe it to you to get that combination training lead set. Um, that's definitely something that I want to um, just reinforce because this summer, man, I want to go back to the basics and really just, you know, my dog is 17 months old. And so I want to uh, just go back and reinforce those things before he hits two, you that's know. Absolutely. That's um, just to be synonymous with working out. You know, I read an article today where you, you know, you folks working on the biceps. Well, you need to probably, you know, round that exercise off with something on your triceps. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was kind of cool how that came together. I was like, OK, <laughs> there you go. that, that it's definitely. It's nothing but a big circle and it's getting smaller every day. Yep. 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 Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, look. I, yeah, I'm gonna sit here and talk to y'all day. Tell me about your um. Tell me about your own personal dogs, personal experiences, man. Like I really like ending on that note. Just let listeners know a, a little bit more about you, man. Um. Uh, yeah. So personal dogs, right now, my my finished retriever, or uh, the one I'm hunting with mostly, is a dog named Missy. Um. She is she's awesome and uh in just about every way. Super, the bitability is the word you use. Bitability and professional. She's not uh, super serious, and it kind of goes into um, what I, I think sometimes terminologies get missed. People talk about a dog with with drive or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that gets construed with energy, um, and, and I don't I, I don't see uh, unnecessary energy as a good thing in a dog. Right. I, I, want, I want a dog. I want a dog just driven. I, I want a dog. You look in the eyes, and, and they're intense. Um, they're not just. They don't just have energy to burn. And you point them in a direction, and they burn the energy. Right. Um, you know, she's one that she's sitting in the house. You'd never. You look at her. And go, eh, she's. You know, she's laying in the house. She actually. It's funny. She's not one that gets up and paces at the door. Tell she'll lay in the bed. I can. I mean, she knows what I'm. Do- I know she knows what I'm doing when we're, when we're getting up to go duck hunting. Mm-hmm. But until I until I pick up the gun and put it in the case, she she will lay there in bed and just watch and go. I'm, you know, I'm gonna keep getting my rest. And then <laughs> I pick up that pick up that gun. She's gonna. She walks. She runs, she walk, she'll walk the door. Sit down at the door. Walk to the truck. Wait for me to put her in the truck. I mean, just very serious. It, 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 she's such a serious dog. I, I remember um, I've, I've got a, several, a couple buddies that that actually uh, I'm gonna say they don't like her, and, and I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but mm-hmm. they don't. Uh, 
they don't like her because she really doesn't care about them or, or anybody else. She's pretty pretty serious about business, especially when you get around hunting and you get you get in the duck blind. She's the one. Uh, if you're if you get on our Instagram or see any of our pictures out there, she's the one that I can take pictures of her from daylight till sunset. If we're anywhere where she thinks there might be a bird that's going to fall, she's going to sit wherever I wherever I put her. And she's going to watch the sky, and she just has this look that she is genuinely 100% believes that a duck is going to come at any moment. I mean, she almost wills them to come. Um, wow. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. And she's, she's been a really cool dog to work. She's, she's a dog that absolutely, you know, professionalism and then biddability. I mean, she, I honestly believe that she doesn't really, she's not bird crazy. She's not a dog that is at all um, bird crazy. She's a dog that, if I sent her for it and, and it was what I wanted her to pick up, that's what made her happy. I mean, it is, she is fired up that, that I'm happy with her. Not necessarily that she's picked up a bird or she's sad or picked up a shed or whatever. It's, it's uh, definitely, definitely doesn't, it's definitely more about what I'm wanting her to do. Not, not necessarily picking up a bird or, or whatever it may be. That's um, beautiful. <laughs> cool. She, she's, she's a, she's a special dog. Um, my other dog is a, a, a red dog named June. Mm-hmm. If I, I say it's my dog. It's my wife's dog. If you hunt with me, I, I will clarify this. My wife's dog. <laughs> um, okay. Because she, she's on pirate rules, as we like to say. She gets away with, with stuff that we don't always let, let a lot of the dogs get away with it. But, um, she's an Upland fanatic. Yeah. Um, you talk about it. It's a, she's a Cocker Spaniel in a lab's body. I mean, you talk what? about the cover. I mean, she beats cover. She's about 43 pounds, um, and she just beats cover like a maniac. Um, got a heck of a nose. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, she just loves, loves hunting and quartering and, and getting out there and trying to find game. Right. Uh, um, and so she's been a lot of fun. A very different dog. Uh, Missy was very much a dog that she wants me she wants me to be working with her and telling and, and going all right we're gonna go get that bird versus the june is very much of a dog that was just like Let, let's go find him. let me go find him for you i'll, I'll go find him for you oh um, see i i need i need june now <laughs> yeah, exactly. she, she's a happy just kind of go lucky yeah um she's one that i could correct or tell her no and she goes, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way then. Doesn't really care. Whereas Missy was one that was very much, show me how you want me to do it, and that's the way I'm going to do it, no questions asked. You want to know. I don't care why. You know, it was, it was, it's two different dogs. I mean, every dog's different, but it's yeah. funny just within those two of, okay, you got mad at me for that? Well, I'll do it this way then. Versus my Missy, you get mad at her, you couldn't get mad at her. She felt like she was mad at you, she was done. She, yeah. She, um, she was a really, She's a dog that I wish everybody had to learn how to train before they got to touch any other dog. Because if you if you learn how to train a dog like that, that you have to show how to do things correctly, mm-hmm. um, I think it makes you a, a thousand times better trainer. Yep. Yep. Um, and then uh, and then from there, more than those are. And then from there, I've got. We actually imported a dog in that's now, I say he's mine, he's Wild Rose, Texas, uh, I, I consider him mine. Yeah. Um, he's uh, the Clue Zephyr of Astroglen, we call him Harvey. Um, he's okay. out of the, the Clue line of dogs, which yep. is... Uh, can you tell me some... Labradors. I mean... Can you elaborate on a little bit more, because I'm really interested in that line. Can you keep going on with that? Yeah, so... Uh, 
they are the the, the Duke of Buclu, um Here, let me let me uh, let me make sure I get all this this information right because we have it. So we actually have Buclu Xander. Okay. Uh, Buclu Xander is located in Oxford. He is the littermate to the current 2017 IGL winner. Wow. Zena. She won the IGL championship this year. So he's he's her brother. Um, That's cool. But to give you a little history on, on the Baclou gun dogs, um, and uh, you know what? This isn't reading, but David Lissette's, uh, it's, it's a, David Lissette's Baclou gun dogs. Mm-hmm. There's a trade CD by, Baclou, by David Lissette. Um, and it's a great, it's another great one to watch. Okay. Um, a lot of great stuff. And I use, so he talks about something and we use it constantly. Uh, if you're training a dog and you're not praising him 90% of the time, you're not training him. You're testing him. Um, we're trying to reward and, and praise the dog 90% of the time that we're out in the field. Okay. Uh, that, if we're not doing that, then we're, we're asking the dog, you know, the dog's constantly failing. Uh, you know, and when that's, He's not learning anything. So, anyways, that's something Dale said. I steal from him all the time. I, I like that. Like about the, in the DVD. But, uh, so, in the 1880s, it's uh, the uh, sixth Duke of Buclew it is. Uh, I'm sorry, Walter Scott, the fifth Duke of Buclew, was the one that actually imported the Newfoundlands, mm-hmm. um, which is the original stock Labrador retrievers come from. Um, they, I mean, they traditionally hadn't actually been in the competitive field at all. They were pretty much, uh, picked up on the Queensbury estate and, uh, there's several different shooting estates they have over there. They, uh, I mean, so Baku Xander was bred to Astriglin Farah, which is where we got Harvey from, who is Baku Zephyr of Astriglin. Um, wow. all these dogs, um, they embody everything that's ever been said about the lab. And they are happy. I'm talking about just happy-go-lucky dogs. Um, don't take anything personally. Love to game find. I mean, they, they are in cover at home hunting, um, and they want to please. They have an extreme desire to please, and, and they want to be with you. There's a huge uh, – and we didn't talk about this, but that's one of the – that's another part of the Wild Rose um, way it, it has a lot to do with the pack mentality and dogs yep. naturally want to be with you and, and be a part of you um, and that's what we see with these this Buclu line is just really that 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 high availability that high desire to please and and then the game finding ability I and mean, they're just they, they were they are um, completely line bred just about or not line bred but they, they, all the breeding is pretty much in house with Buclu and they're only focusing on getting out and getting in, and hunting in front of their clients and, and guests and whatever it may be. And, uh, and so it's been very different, it's been very neat to see them enter the competitive world now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and for those of you out there, I think, I think I saw, I think on Instagram, you have a yellow dog, right? Yes, I do. We won't, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> now, can I tell you something? I really want a red dog. Man, uh, the uh, Missy's a black dog, but for those of you out there that are, you know, black Labradors are the Labradors. I, I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm jokingly part of that crowd. I definitely have, a, I'm a black lab first kind of guy. Oh, you see, I'm a yellow dog first, man. So it's funny because it's, it's funny because there's even, even though I'll say that there's no stock in. They're all, all the labs have been so interbred. Uh huh. Quote unquote, no such thing as a. Uh, you know, a black lab that doesn't have any yellow or red in it. Right. Uh, 
And, uh, but the Paclue lines only breed black labs. It is the only lab you can trace it all the way back. Um, now Harvey's mom, so my dog Harvey, his mom, uh, his mom's, his mom's great granddad actually was a yellow dog. So the Astrogan line that was brought into Harvey does have a yellow dog. But Baclue Xander, Baclue Xena, any of the Baclue dogs, um, that their kennel is solely black labs and it what? solely goes back to the Newfoundland dogs. So if you're in the camp of black old, you know, black lab is the only lab and they <laughs> all that, um, that is the actual only line of dogs that is not quote unquote tainted by, by yellow or any other color. So it's kind of mm. interesting. Um, wow. To, that is pretty cool. That. It's, it's funny because like I said, it's, it's not, again, I, um, I jokingly, I jokingly play that game. I love to, kidding my wife about that but uh the Baclue line is, is is a true original stock all that good stuff and then anyways we've been really excited to have them we're so excited to get Xander we got Xander mm-hmm. uh I think close to this time last year um and really glad we did because when when Xena when Xena won the IGL that it uh changed the whole dynamic on that whole Baclue gun dogs as well and we wouldn't have been able to get him had had uh had we waited till after his sister won the IGL. See, yeah, um, you you just sold me because I was, I um my next pup I wanted to get from um it was honestly between either Wild Rose or Duck Hill Kennels and I met Lily Milner um and just looked on the Duck Hill website and they mentioned Bl- uh Baclue dogs and uh-huh and see that's where my interest came from man like that is that's awesome i really like that history man and you know i i'll, I'll be a little biased i i i can uh i can say my favorite color dogs and i've seen all of them all shades my favorite color and i know it shouldn't mean anything but it's it's yellow dogs man but i do want a red <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I want a black tie. I think I want all of them. <laughs> hey, I want all, hey, look, that's, that's, that's why I was, that's how I became Wild Rose, Texas. I wanted all of them. Yeah. <laughs> that was one. Um, you know, I, I think uh, they all have their place, too. I, we were hunting, um, man, a red dog and some brown deck mm-hmm. cover is so gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yellow, a big yellow dog is there's just something about a big yellow dog especially out here in texas oh, yeah. i really love them and they, they they fit well in a lot of situations yeah uh, especially you know dove field type stuff and mm-hmm. but then i you know the, the black labs the black labs eyes tend to get me and then you put them you put them in a water environment or you put them in a something about and you see this a lot over there with the sugar beets and different stuff they hunt them through mm-hmm. the green leafy cover that's white you are not not white. Sorry, green leafy cover that's wet. Yep. You won't talk about a black lab looking gorgeous and in his element. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just they that they just blend right on in. It's like a, a a brown and white pointer down in down in the South Texas mesquite. Oh man, that's beautiful. See the the again, those are the are the uh, experiences that I be looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Oh my so god. And that's what it's all about. I think uh, you kind of touched on it there. And something uh, we've got—it's—it's it's all about the experience. It's all about for you know for us, it's all about the wild rose experience. And, mm-hmm. and we have a saying: the sun never sets on the wild rose experience. Uh, just yep. to give you an idea, I mean, we had—you know—we had, you know, we had uh, I think close to forty clients on a pheasant hunt in North Dakota. Wow! Um, and then we had, had we had a uh, kind of exclusive eight-person group. 
down in the Bahamas on a bone fishing trip with their dogs. I mean, that's that's how far that's that's how serious we take the, the staying the wild the, the sun never sets on the wild rose experience. I mean, it, it goes from everything from bird hunting, wild pheasant, in North Dakota, all the way to bone fishing for uh, or fly fishing for bonefish and permit in the Bahamas. Um, wow. It, when we say we want you to live with your dog, we want to be a part of it, and it goes. It's, we're not selling you a puppy. We're selling Wild Rose experience. Mm-hmm. Your puppy started dog, finished dog, whatever it is. We're, we're selling you the Wild Rose experience. We we take that to heart, and we can. We're we're serious about that. We have a adventure dog workshop in Jasper, Arkansas. I think next weekend. Depending mm-hmm. on what today's date is, but uh, yeah, next weekend we're in Arkansas. Or Mike's in Arkansas with. Uh, the adventure dog workshop they're kayaking down the white river what? Do, um, do hiking in some in some forest and, and do a lot of different different neat stuff and, and make sure make sure you're, you're cross training your dog and, and doing everything you can with them in the off season yeah i'm a pretty avid hunter but hunting season is about three months of the year and, and i i I'm, I'm not gonna stick my dog in the kennel and not see him for nine months right right that has to happen and that's that's definitely been one of the joys that I've had with having a lab. Like they, you know, they turn it on and turn it off, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you come in the house and, and I'm, I'm pretty, my buddy Shane, uh, my Shane, my buddy Shane Drake, we, uh, shoot a lot, do a lot of pheasant shoots together. And he, um, picks up birds and stuff like that at a uh, South Fork hunting preserve. And I, he always gives me, uh, Gives me a hard time because he says I talk I talk pretty bad about German short hairs though I want one and I really I really like them. Um, you know, one of the the main things that some German short hair owners and not all of them, you know, I don't want to be too general about it, but you know they they say they're 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 they're, they're kennel dogs they're kennel dogs they're not good in the house which yeah I, you know there there's I, I have my feelings about that too but. With labs, I've never heard a lab owner say they they can't turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. You know, um, no, it's especially yeah, no, it's uh, they're pretty special in that way. And yeah. we have a lot of short hairs um, that kind of um, are a part of the, the they come out to events and different stuff. And mm-hmm. most, I'd always kind of thought of the short hairs a dog that can kind of come in and come out. Now the, the English pointers are, are the dog that have always been in my mind the dog that's. Just not not able to turn it off in the house. Yeah, it's a it's a one job type dog. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting. That said that about the short hairs. Yeah, I I've heard that from a couple of folks, and my experience, like, you know, my I think the little bit of exposure I have to short hairs are Shane's, who size a really really good dog, um, and Shane hasn't complained any about him, um, or said anything like that, and I've met one other guy that had a short hair and he said that he was pretty good in the house but some uh, they're like just out in the field just in conversation i've had a couple of guys say that they could not keep their short hairs in a house in the house for you know um like an extended period of time for some reason and maybe it's just the training i don't know uh, yeah, one you gotta look at your you, you do have to look at genetics i mean there's uh you know, there's some guys from the kind of traditional American field trial lines. That, mm-hmm. and it's, it's gotten better, but there was definitely a time where the, the American field trial lab was, I mean, it, and, and I'll give credit where credit's due, the breeders and trainers of, of the field trial world would tell people that if you're not planning on field trial on this dog, this dog ain't for you. Right. Uh, and, and so there's there's definitely you within the lab world 
that that segment. And, and so genetics play a part of that, but you're exactly right. Uh, methodology, what methodologies are they using? What what is the relationship with them and the dog? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's uh, you got to look at. That. There's a lot of stuff that goes on with dog training that goes far beyond just the genetics of the dog, or you know the generalities of a breed and, and whatnot. Right. Um, make sure you're. You got to make sure you're setting it up for success. There's right. something I was going to say, and now I forgot it. Um, <laughs> you were talking. Oh, I know what you were saying. So you talked about why labs are so special earlier on, and mm-hmm. I, I, I can't remember where I read this, but they talked about one of the reasons labs may be so special. It makes a lot of sense to me. Is labs are really the only dog that. And it's true, you know, every, believe it or not, every dog down to a poodle had an original instinct and sporting instinct and job to do. Right. And, uh, but, uh, the retriever is the only job, dog job out there that the dog is relying on you to do something first before it ever gets to do its job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a herder is going out to get sheep and bring them to you. A pointer is going out to find birds. A hound is going out to track game. Um, none of them have the same reliance on us as hunters and um, as companions as as the retriever does. Right. As the retriever breeds to it. That's, I think that's what makes them so special and, and somewhat different. And that's where I was going with that is I think it's sometimes hard for bird dogs as well to, you know, have that dependent spirit, that obedience, that stuff that, you know, an in-house dog requires and then somehow go out in the field and be amazing in the field and be independent and bold and all this kind of stuff um, under no direction. Right. Except, man, it's kind of, it's a very, that's a very, very hard switch to flip versus, you know, a lab or a retriever type dog where they're, we're, we pretty much require obedience in all scenarios until we say their name and go find that bird or we, we send them on a blind, say their name, go find that bird, stop the whistle, get them in the area, and then give them that hunt command, and now they're independent. They kind of have a clear direction of, okay, now, now I need to get to get in there, and I'm, the bird's somewhere in this area versus a pointing-type dog where we wake up in the morning, and this morning we expect them to be laying on the couch or laying on their bed or crawling to bed, hopefully, all day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we wake up, we throw them out the back of the truck into the – into the briars and say go find a bird that might or might not be out there and that just it's the two it's two very different types of dogs right right absolutely and that was that was the thing that drew me to uh getting a labrador like you know my my wife will tell you when when we were getting ruger um the decision was to get um a setter i think i looked at a german short hair um and a lab and i said i wanted a dog that was going to want to work with me like i said I, my, my my quote was i wanted my dog to be my shadow yep. <laughs> and yep, that was that was the thing that i like about retrievers like it it has to be a teamwork thing you know whether it's in a duck blind whether it's upland hunting you got to work as a team you know, and no, you're not going to cover as much ground as as any uh, pointing breed would. But I'll, t- you know, me personally, I'll take that sacrifice if me and my dog are together looking through the bush, and it takes a little bit longer. Honestly, hell, I'll just enjoy the process. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and that's that's exactly right. And again, there's always. Um, I know you have bird dog guys that listen to you, and I don't mm-hmm. want them to think that I 
don't want them to think that I, I don't think that they have awesome relationships with their dogs. Right. Uh, it's just a it's just a different, definitely a different dynamic. Right. Um, Definitely a different dynamics is the best way to put it, I think. Right. And, and, I, and I can appreciate, again, like you said, it's, it's, it's not to go one way or the other. I appreciate the dynamics of both. You know. Well, and you want to talk about, you know, you talked a little bit about, uh, I think, I don't know if you've had a chance, but the, the, the Bill Terrence book. Uh, oh, I already ordered that. <laughs> All right. So, so when you read it, he talks about, um, and I can't remember how exactly the scenario puts the scenario, but he kind of. There's something freeing and and really uh, not to not to get into uh, religion on this, but go for it. it it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like God not requiring you know not requiring what actions we take and giving us the choice of of you know free will and stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of same deal. Of not having a collar on a dog. Yeah, you talk about a lab sending it out there and you. That's one of the things that I hear from 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 the call, from a collar being on the dogs. Well, I don't ever use it, but if I had to, I've got it. Right, um, and I understand that, and I do understand that. But there is something totally different about sending the dog out and knowing. I mean, I'm you know I hunt, I hunt in some places that I'm not going to go out there and get the dog. I mean, it's, it's muddy. I'm sick up to my waist in mud or whatever. That I right. ain't no way I'm going to go get the dog if he messes up. Right. Uh, so one, he's got to be prepared, but two. I, I gotta trust him to send him out there, send her out there, and, and hope it and, and know that it's gonna go right. I love uh, it. Yep. On a whole another level, talk about sending a bird dog out and with a bell on his on his uh, collar and, and not having any way of correcting him once he's out there looking for game. Yeah. So it's it's uh, you know those guys are pretty cool. I I I like that and. You know, I I believe in and just with people, with dogs, with that whatever, I believe in the law of attraction. If you attract the energy of I trust the relationship that I have with my dog, when we go out and hunt, I'm going to trust that that dog wants to work with me because everything I did in training, um, you know, it, it it kind of incentivizes working for me, or I'm sorry, working with me. Um, you know, I believe in attracting the energy. Of okay, when I release this dog into the woods, we're gonna work together. My dog is not gonna run off, and that's with a, a pointer or a, or or a retriever. Like we we've done this together so much in practice that I can trust that you're not gonna run off on me. It doesn't matter how yeah. far you're gonna range. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think even you know Delmar Smith's methods and stuff in the pointing dog world apply pretty pretty close to. Uh, to the Wild Rose way and yep. that same type deal of, of that relationship being more about the relationship versus the ability to control the dog. Right. Right. Man, that's that there is beautiful. And I'm and I'm really trying to go back and that's I'm actually glad that you're giving me all of this research to do and all of this reading because you know, I want to know about, you know, some of these older methods and things like that where, you know, these folks have had success, you know, um training a dog and it was so much different than you know what we have nowadays like i'm really into that because if you think about it man for millennia at this point in time human beings have been have been working with dogs for a long time mm-hmm. oh yes and and the techniques didn't require some of the techniques that we have nowadays so what were these guys doing to be so successful yeah no it, it, that's exactly right yeah um i think i think there's a there's a lot to be gained from going back and, and seeing the basics and taking advantage of what we know now too. Right. There, there's been a lot of, 
Um, there's been a lot of, of research in the meantime as well. And I really like following a lot of the horse trainers. And, oh, and yeah. We, and, you're uh, a man after my own heart. Yep. That's the same, you know, same type deal. I think, so. unfortunately for dogs, uh, they're smaller than us. Uh, typically, we can, the people can be a little bit more brutal with dogs, and, and they're they're forgiving, and, and uh, they learn, and, and they'll put up with a little bit more, whereas the horse world, and I'm, and I'm not a horse guy. My, my dad was a rodeo, or he steer wrestled and team roped. My sister was a huge in the horse, uh, I say huge in the horse world. She was, she was huge. She loved horse. She's crazy about him. She still um, jumps and she does the question herself. And I, I was never, I never had a ton of trust for horses. They're too big and they do, they're too unpredictable for, mm-hmm. to me. Um, but with that being said, that's what makes them so great and great, especially to study the people who train them. Is uh, you know you can't you can't beat beat a horse. I mean you can't beat a horse, but you can't beat a horse into doing what you're wanting to do. A lot of the guys that are successful, they're they're coaching these horses and they're they're making it about the partnership and that that psychology versus just a drill and a a way to do it right. Yep, yep. I yeah, um I I'm I'm really infatuated by horse training. Super. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to talk. We talked about a little about this the other day, and I think that's. I said I mentioned drill. I think that's the the key. I think unfortunately people get caught up on is they look for the drills or the the fix to a problem versus the why. Yeah. Um, I, I think the why has so much to do with. Uh, I think uh, with more of it than anything. I think there's there's drills. Everybody. I mean, people have been training dogs for so long. People have been uh, tons of different people train train dogs successfully. Tons of different ways. Um, um, but I think that's what I feel like separates us in the Wild Rose way in a lot of ways is um, we try to really focus on the why and the relationship. Uh, yep. Really, there's a lot of different ways to, to skin, a, skin a cat, but yep. but you got to start with a sharp knife. Right, right. That's so true, man. Like that. <laughs> that's why I'm I'm loving this program, man, and that's why I wanted to have you on and just revisit it because you know that's something that needed needed to be said, and that's a conversation that I really, um, really learned from and and really appreciate you just offering me, man. Like I know you guys deal with so many dogs on a normal day basis, um, and I'm you know I'm sure people come with, come to you with fifty million different questions, but. You know, I just really appreciate hearing that from you um, on a personal level because that's going to, you know, really, really reinforce some of the things that I'm doing with the book and clarify my understanding. So, Mr. Billups, man, thank you. <laughs> hey, no problem. Happy, happy to do it. Happy to do it. Dude, I, uh, I, I can't say, like, how much success I've, I'm really starting to see with this whole process. Now, let me um, ask you this. Is there anything that's coming up with Wild Rose or anything you want to kind of put out there that, I don't know, just anything that you want to leave my listeners with? Um, well, I'd encourage you to, to everybody to follow us at, on Instagram and Facebook. There's Wild Rose Kennels. There's Wild Rose Texas, Wild Rose Carolinas, Wild Rose Teton Valley, Wild Rose Roaming. Okay. Um, so there's a couple different social media sites to follow along with what's going on. Uh, we also have a publication uh, that goes out uh, every other month by email. It's online publication. We've got about 17,000 subscribers. 
Uh, if you go to uklabs.com or to uklabstexas.com, you can sign up. We call it the Wild Rose Journal. Yep. It's got uh, training tips, training ideas, uh, recipes, dog stories, uh, just about anything. If you enjoy reading about dogs at all, it's, it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, it's user-submitted as well. Um, we, we have guys come in there and tell us about their story of hiking with their dog in Alaska. or We had, we had one that was ice climbing or training successes or failures or a little bit of everything. Um, it's just kind of something to follow along with, and, and we have a lot of fun with, with that publication. Uh, you can also see on our events page on either one of those, uklabs.com or uklabstexas.com, uh, we have an event schedule. We actually also have an app. Uh, believe it or not, I have there's that app. Yep. in this world that has an app, and you can see all of our events on that app. I'm not going to try to list all of them. Yeah. Um, next, we had a Starting Your Dog in Oxford this week. Uh, we have a Adventure Dog Workshop in Jasper, Arkansas next week. I, I think it might already be sold out. I have to double-check on that. But, I mean, after that, there's pretty much – if you want to, you can find a Wild Rose event um, across the nation somewhere um, at least a couple different times a month. And that's, yeah. that's what's been really cool about what we're doing now is, and we're real serious about, it's, it's not about buying a puppy. It's about what happens after you bring that puppy home. Right. Um, and, and who, and are you going to have that network to, to help you train that dog, to help, help raise that dog and then, and then go find what things to do with the dog too. And we're, like I said, we're trying to create different opportunities from, uh, my wife and my wife's in charge of setting up a, a, uh, a sip, a sip, a sip and shoot or shoot and sip okay. um, weekend this weekend or not this weekend, but this summer of getting together and doing some wineries with some dogs and shooting plays and, and, and getting dogs active in the summertime and, uh, or going to the Bahamas and fishing with dogs or, or going on hunts with dogs or, uh, any, any number of things. There, there's a lot of opportunities out there. I encourage you to, like I said, just find an event, get plugged in. If it's a starting your dog, or if it's a advanced handlers, or or whatever it may be, there's uh, there's plenty of opportunities uh, to get out and come look at a facility, uh, whether it be the Texas facility or Oxford or North Carolina or Teton Valley. We hadn't talk, talked about it at all. It might be yeah, Mike, elaborate. Yeah, Teton Valley. Uh, so Blixton Company, Lars Magnuson came over from Sweden. Uh, he offers the only authentic driven shooting in America. What? Uh, he does the traditional, um, raises the birds out in the field. It is completely, they drive them through fields. They drive them over cliffs. Um, they've got a uh, red-legged partridge from France, and they've got pheasant um, that they drive over a couple different driven scenarios. Um, they go up there for two days of shooting, and it's completely unlimited birds. And they have all these birds in the fields, and uh, they drive them over you, and it is uh, shoot to your heart's content. About because now we can finish dogs here in America. I mean, it's, I've got a trailer load of dogs that are going to go up for the month of October, and they'll pick between sixty and eighty birds a day for a month. Um, and you can't do that during a season. We have dogs wow. that spend the whole season up there, and you, they'll kill six hundred to eight hundred birds a day on these driven shoots. And the kind of bird experience that a dog gets on a trip like that is uh, unparalleled. Uh, but as what you know, the Wild Rose dogs and Wild Rose clients can go up there and they can pick up pick up on those shoots as well. We have picker syndicates in the local area. There's the Deep South Syndicate, uh, uh, the Deep South Picker Syndicate, the Wild Rose Texas uh, Picker Syndicate, where we go to Greystone, places like Greystone or Purcell Farms. 
and uh, pick up on these uh, or Westerbelt and pick up on these uh, tower shoots and driven shoots. Um, just just a way to help steady the dogs up and get more bird exposure to them. But then Idaho, and that's like I said, that's the Teton Valley location is a totally just different animal of um, uh, just insane amounts of birds and terrain and cliffs and just unbelievable. Wow. That location and that ability to take finished dogs up there and and really uh, change the game with them. I, there's a TV. The, there was a TV episode on it. I think Ram Outdoorsman. I think it's what it's uh-huh. called. Uh, they aired it on the Sportsman channels. Uh, one of our clients uh, picked up his dog up there and they did a little episode on him shooting up there and a little bit of everything. So really, really cool location. But I mean, it just goes to say, it really say all that just to say that it, it, the opportunities are out there. Just got to look for them and uh, encourage you to get plugged in and follow along and and uh, and get plugged in. The sun, the sun never sets on the wild rose way. Yo, <laughs> clearly it doesn't because I I got to get out there now. I have when I tell you I I don't do anything else on YouTube other than like watch British driven shootings and I I I just always want to go to them and just. To, yeah. to have that experience? It's unbelievable. Oh, it's my so God. Cool. And there's a lot of guys. Greystone here in Dallas does a great job of replicating uh, driven shooting, but but to uh, but to see the real thing and, and be a part of it. And, I mean, being in Idaho, it's in the Teton Valley. It's about mm-hmm. an hour west of Jackson Hole. I mean, the, the 100-foot cliff drops that you're sending dogs up or down, and, and it's just so cool. It's an unbelievable experience um, and really something we're really excited to offer. Uh, wow. As, as facility and and uh and go from there so okay well i'm i'm there man i need to make it a priority i have a bucket list you got of things, a lot of things to do <laughs> <laughs> so you can make it out of texas you gotta come hunting with me we gotta go find some quail hey look man i'm gonna take it up i'm gonna take you up on that and i'm gonna make it happen uh-huh. now <laughs> Man, guy, you are you are the truth, man. I really appreciate that, and I, I got a list of um, podcast things that I just the the list keeps getting longer, man. It, it keeps getting longer, but it's it's damn worth it. <laughs> Yep. Over the years, and that uh, you'll you'll get a kick out of watching those. Oh yeah, and, I'm. And, and that's for the best. Uh, IGL the IGL DVD Paul Prince DVDs. Uh, they're a little long. I mean, it, it's not, not not as much uh, storytelling to it. Yeah. But, uh, you get to watch the dogs work and see some impressive things, and then uh, and then you read the the best of the best book, and then you get a little bit more of the storytelling, and you get into the, the shoes of the trialers a little bit, and get the experience ups and downs. So. Well, I'm, I'm, I definitely got my homework cut out for me. I appreciate it. I never said, I never thought I would say thank you for homework, but thank you. <laughs> there you go. I mean, either. <laughs> Man. And, uh, so, uh, one of our associate trainers, uh, we've got we, the Wild Rose in general across the, across the country. We have 19 trainers out there. Um, one of our oldest associate trainers, Craig Korf, up in uh, Sheboygan, not Sheboygan, I think it's just Sheboygan, um, Wisconsin. Uh, he's former, former, formerly in the field trial world, and kind of converted over the Wild Rose Way. And mm-hmm. back in 2000, I believe, I think he won our he won our double gun championship in 2004, 2005, something like that, and then became an associate. But anyway, he's the one that gave me all the all this homework on uh, on best of the bet, the Paul French videos, and Abel uh-huh. set uh, DVD, and um, just all the different Bill Terrence. Uh, he loved mm-hmm. the dog. He was the one that turned me on to a lot of that stuff, and. 
anyway, it's really cool. Really cool to have uh, the network that Wildrose has from mm-hmm. Mike to Craig to Tim Clancy and, and Stephen Lucius and, and, and Blake and all the guys. That I, I'm not going to name everybody, but just going through everybody that's, that's been around. And we've all had the opportunity to learn, learn from Mike and, and continue to learn from Mike and, and, uh, and learn from clients as well. We have a, we have a Facebook page, Training the Wild Rose Way. We mm-hmm. encourage people to uh, be involved with that and post training tips or DVDs or questions, or not DVDs, but videos and questions and um, really be an ongoing forum for dog training. So it, it's, uh, if you're not learning every day, you're, you're, uh, you're doing something wrong. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm with it. Now, I am, I'm, I'm going to give you my, my word and my promise. I'm going to continue to advocate for the Wild Rose Way. I mean, that's what I started with, what I'm using and definitely restudying. So um, I need truck stickers, man. Like, I need to look on y'all's website or whatever, like, because I'm... Wild Rose Training Company should have them. Okay. If they don't, I'll make sure to get you some. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go search on there, man, because this is... This is what gets me excited and just learning and having that depth. So I need to, I'm all about stickers on my truck and stuff like that. So (laughs) I like it. I uh, I appreciate it. So, all right, man. Well, that's all that I got, Mr. Billups. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. And it was a pleasure and, uh, look forward to, look forward to seeing you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, also send me, um, an image that you want to use. If you can real quick, um, send me an image you want to use and I can put it on the uh, cover art for you. All right. I will do. Thank you, man. Good talking to you. Hey, thank you. All right. Have a good one. Bye.